Hi, everybody. Thanks for uh, coming and being a little patient as we got started. I will be very quick so we can get you guys in and out of here. I'm Laura Odato, the Cato Institute's Director of Government Affairs. And today we have Michael Cannon who's going to be presenting on the expansion of Medicare in the States. Michael Cannon is the Cato Institute's Director of Healthcare Policy. He previously worked on The Hill, and he's also co-authored and co-edited the Guide to Replacing Obamacare and Healthy Competition, books on healthcare policy that we're happy to get copies to. There's also a number of recent papers he's written um, in the past couple years that I'm happy to get you if you need it as well. So I will now turn the podium over to Michael so he can tell you all about Medicaid expansion. Thank you, Ashley. And thank you, Laura, and especially Erin back at Cato for helping get the presentation loaded onto the laptop here. Uh, and thanks all of you for, uh, for being so patient while we do that. What I wanted to talk to you about today is an aspect of Obamacare implementation that hasn't been receiving a whole lot of attention. You've probably, uh, if you've been paying attention to the news at all, as I was saying, you've probably heard a good bit about uh, the things that the Obama administration is doing, uh, some controversial things, go ahead, advance please, to, to get this law implemented on time uh, uh, and remove obstacles uh, that they perceive to its implementation. This happened actually immediately after the law was enacted. There are a number of congressional staff here. Uh, you may be interested to know that a lot of you were thrown, this law, Obamacare, actually throws you out of your health plans uh, as of March 23rd, 2010. You're not eligible under this statute for the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program. But that would present an obstacle to, uh, to implementing the law. If it threw members of Congress out of their health plans, they would have to reopen the law to fix that. So the Obama administration wanted to avoid that fight. They just went ahead and said, you know what, we're going to keep uh, allowing people, uh, allowing members of Congress and their staffs to participate in the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, even though federal law prohibits them from doing so. Uh, there are more examples, if you could, we could see the next slide, please of this, uh, the waivers that they handed out to uh, certain businesses from certain provisions of the law, the fact that they're postponing the small business exchanges without authority, they're delaying the employer mandate and the reporting requirements imposed on employers and insurers without, uh, without the authority to do so. But today, I want to talk to you about uh, something, as I said, that hasn't received nearly as much attention. It has to do with what's on our next slide. You may recall that just about one year ago, a little over a year ago, the Supreme Court handed down a really landmark ruling in uh, NFIB versus Sebelius. This was the case that challenged both the individual mandate in Obamacare and the Medicaid mandate that told states they had to expand their Medicaid programs or lose all federal Medicaid funds. This was a pretty pricey proposition for a lot of states. Uh, my colleague Jagadish Gokhale estimated that states like Florida, Texas, Illinois could, could have to shell out $20 billion over the next 10 years, over the first 10 years of this expansion in order to comply. And it came as quite a surprise that, even as the Supreme Court declined to strike down the individual mandate, it did strike down this Medicaid mandate in a way. It told the federal government, look, you can condition the new money that you offer to states under this Medicaid expansion, because they did provide new money to states, uh, more, more uh, 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 generous grants than, uh, than the existing Medicaid program offered. But you cannot condition the old Medicaid money on states implementing the Medicaid expansion. Now, about two weeks after that ruling, 
Well, well this is actually pretty significant. If we could go to the next slide, please. I oh, look at that. You're, you're watching me flip my pages. In. Mm -hmm. So uh, about, this is significant because states had already been talking about not implementing the Medicaid expansion. And when the Supreme Court made that expansion optional for states, a lot of them said, all right, forget it, we're not gonna do this. And at this point, about half of the states had said they are not going to implement Obamacare's Medicaid expansion uh, now that that penalty is no longer there. Now, about two weeks after the Supreme Court handed down their ruling, this is how Secretary of Health and Human Services Kathleen Sebelius explained that ruling to states. She wrote a letter to governors in which she explained that uh, beginning in 2014, the Affordable Care Act provides for the expansion of Medicaid eligibility to adults under age 65 and below 138% of the federal poverty level who are not previously eligible. Then she wrote, the Supreme, this is a quote, the Supreme Court held that if a state chooses not to participate in this expansion of Medicaid for low-income adults, the state may not, as a consequence, lose federal funding for its existing Medicaid program. The court's decision did not affect other provisions of the law. This is not what the court said. What Secretary Sebelius did here was essentially rewrite the court's ruling and narrow it in a way that would allow the Obama administration to continue to withhold federal, well, the old Medicaid grants, the old Medicaid funds from states that did not implement other parts of the law, even though the Supreme Court made those parts of the law as optional as it made coverage for the newly eligible adult population. And this is a significant penalty. Uh, the, what, what Kathleen Sebelius, uh, because federal Medicaid grants on average account for about 12% of state revenues, what the governors heard when Sebelius issued this letter was, implement all other provisions expanding Medicaid or you will lose 12% of your state's revenues. And she even got some support from the Congressional Research Service. The Congressional Research Service, uh, also in July of last year, wrote that Chief Justice John Roberts, quote, viewed the, medic the current Medicaid program as distinct from the ACA Medicaid expansion, which he found to be a new program under ACA. However, the Chief Justice did not state as precisely as some might wish what the ACA Medicaid expansion includes, includes and does not include. That's also not what the court said. And contrary to what CRS uh, uh, claims, the court was fairly clear about what the uh, Medicaid expansion included uh, and what they meant by the Medicaid expansion. And the court's ruling flatly contradicts what Kathleen Sebelius and, and, and CRS are saying about uh, the extent of the court's remedy. And what that means is, again, that the Obama administration is still using tools that the court forbade them to use in order to get states to implement parts of, uh, of Obamacare. And the court described these tools as coercion, the threat of taking away 12% of a state's revenues. Uh, the, the court called, uh, Chief Justice John Robert called, putting a gun to the head of states. And that's what they're continuing to do um, in flagrant violation of the court's ruling. So what I want to do now is uh, let's look at some of the, uh, the Medicaid provisions that are in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare. Then we'll look at what the Supreme Court did, what it, uh, what it ruled and why. And along the way, we'll start to see that what the Obama administration did here was arbitrarily narrow the court's ruling um, and, and that they're continuing to coerce states in violation of that ruling. So let's look at some of the mandatory Medicaid provisions in, uh, in Obamacare. The first one is the really big ticket item that's mandatory eligibility for all adults under 138% of the federal poverty level. 
Uh, states did, were not required to provide coverage to uh, childless, able-bodied adults uh, uh, in general. This law does that uh, to everyone below 138% of poverty. This is a big ticket item because this is the part of the law where Congress said we will, we will cover 100% of the cost of coverage for these folks for the first year and that'll uh, decline uh, to 90% after a few years. And, and that's much more generous a match than what Congress usually provides for Medicaid programs or S-CHIP programs or even the enhanced S-CHIP match rates that were in effect for a couple of years. The second uh, uh, provision is that Although coverage for children from ages 16 to 18 was mandatory up to 100% of poverty before uh, Obamacare, Obamacare raised that to 138%. Uh, and that is not with the uh, new 100% or 90 to 100% match. That's under the old Medicaid or S-CHIP match rate. So that costs states a little more than it would with, uh, with the uh, newly eligible adult population match. There's mandatory coverage for former foster children up to age 26. There's a new, in, in Obamacare, states are, uh, under Obamacare, states are required to implement a uh, new way of measuring income called modified adjusted gross income. This is uh, what they're going to be using not only in Medicaid, but also in the health insurance exchanges and, and, uh, and SCHIP and other government programs. So there'll be a uniform way of measuring income across, of all of these program, across all these programs. And this is important, and we'll talk about why. And uh, Let's see, next, the law requires that uh, state Medicaid programs do eligible, eligibility determinations for exchange for subsidies through health insurance exchanges. So if a person comes to a Medicaid program and their income is slightly above the threshold for Medicaid eligibility, and it turns out that they're between 100 and 400% of the federal poverty level and eligible for subsidies through an exchange, the state Medicaid agency has to make that determination and send them to an exchange. That's another requirement imposed on states. And finally, uh, there's a maintenance of effort uh, requirement for both adults and children uh, in, in Obamacare that says that, that states have to lock in their eligibility levels uh, where they were when Congress passed Obamacare on March 23, 2010, and cannot, uh, cannot reduce those eligibility levels until uh, in the case of adults, a state implements a health insurance exchange uh, after 2014, or in the case of children, uh, they have to keep them there until uh, 2019. Now, all of these provisions, obviously the first one expands Medicaid, but all of them, not and not just the first two, all of them expand Medicaid eligibility and enrollment in one way or another. For example, the modified adjusted gross income standard gets rid of asset tests. So there'll be people who will become eligible for Medicaid as a result of that provision because uh, who weren't previously because they, they had assets that made them ineligible for Medicaid. And uh, the, uh, the eligibility determinations for uh, exchange subsidies, that provision also applies to exchanges. So exchanges will be making eligibility determinations for Medicaid that will increase Medicaid enrollment compared to what uh, uh, the enrollment would be if that requirement wasn't there. You can see how this works. These are all ma mandatory as well because the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act says to states, you have to implement all of these or you will lose all federal Medicaid funds. It conditions all federal Medicaid funds on implementation of each of these. So what did the court do with these provisions? Well, as John Roberts wrote, we have upheld 
Congress's authority to condition the receipt of, uh, of funds on the states complying with the restrictions on the use of those funds, but when conditions that do not govern the use of those funds, when conditions uh, do not govern the use of those funds, they can't be justified on that basis. And here's a, a direct quote. When, for example, such conditions take the form of threats to terminate other significant independent grants, the conditions are properly viewed as a means of pressuring states to accept policy changes. Now you can see here that it, in, de in deciding or coming up with a framework for deciding when a condition that Congress puts on uh, federal funds is coercive, the court came up with a two-part test. If those conditions threaten to terminate grants, federal grants that are significant and independent of the conditions, then it is coercive and constitutionally impermissible. So what did the court mean by significant? Well, the Chief Justice explained, the threat and loss of over 10% of the state's overall budget is economic dragooning that uh, leaves the states with no real option. So the threat to terminate a federal grant is significant if, if that federal grant would exceed 10% of a state's overall budget. What about independent? How do you know if a condition is independent of the threatened grant? Well, uh, this here, here the Chief Justice wrote, uh, he didn't provide as clear a, uh, a, 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 a rule as he did with significant, but here's what he wrote. He said the Medicaid expansion doesn't just add on to the Medicaid program. It achieves what he called a shift in kind, not merely degree. He wrote under, quote, under the Affordable Care Act, Medicaid is transformed into a program to meet the healthcare needs of the entire non-elderly population below 133% of the federal poverty level. It is no longer a program to care for the neediest among us, but rather an element of a comprehensive national plan to provide universal health insurance coverage. Now, I think the important point here is that the Medicaid expansion of which he was speaking is not the new independent program that he had in mind. And the independent program is not the Medicaid expansion. The expansion is what transforms Medicaid from its current state or into an element of that new program, a comprehensive national plan to provide universal health insurance coverage. The court made the Medicaid expansion not optional, not because it was a new program, but because it effectuated that transformation of Medicaid into a new program. Now, I think it's important to understand that the size of the new burden, under this two-part test, the size of the new burden that Congress is asking states to, to shoulder is irrelevant to deciding whether or not the state is being coerced into shouldering that new burden. The Chief Justice put it this way. He said, it doesn't matter, uh, your money or your life is a coercive proposition whether you have a single dollar in your pocket or $500. So in this analysis, it doesn't matter if the new condition is the newly eligible adults provision, the really expensive one, or if it's a less expensive one like the new income measure. That's not what has to be significant. The penalty for not taking on this new burden is what has to be significant. So when we apply NFIB's two-part test, or when the court applied it to the Medicaid expansion, it found that, well, the test is uh, uh, succinctly stated, if a new condition on federal grants to states threatens to eliminate significant federal grants exceeding 10% of state revenues, and the new condition or burden is independent of the threatened grants, then Congress has crossed the line between encouragement and coercion. And that's what they, the, the Chief Justice and seven other justices essentially said, I'm sorry, six other justices essentially said the, Medi the Medicaid expansion did. It threatened to terminate, uh, it 
it threatened states with a loss of more than 10% of their revenues unless they took on a new burden that is independent of those revenues because uh, th those, uh, that burden was to implement a new program, that new comprehensive plan of, of uh, national health insurance. Again, I think it bears repeating that the independent program that Robert spoke of was not the newly eligible adult population. It was not even the Medicaid expansion. He did not treat either the expansion or that newly eligible adult population as an add-on that would exist on top of the Medicaid program. They transformed, they were part of the transformation of Medicaid from its existing, the existing program into that comprehensive national plan to provide universal health insurance coverage. And to affect that transformation, it's obvious you need more than just eligibility for all adults below 138% of poverty. You need all the other Medicaid provisions we discussed earlier. And here's, here's why. For example, I think I touched on this, and the administration even acknowledges this when it comes to the modified adjusted gross income standard. If you want a comprehensive national uh, plan for universal health insurance coverage, well, this modified adjust this uniform definition of income is obviously part of that plan. Because when you uh, apply for coverage, they, you have uniform rules for the Medicaid program, the SCHIP program, and the health insurance exchanges to decide whether or not you're eligible for subsidies. The administration has even acknowledged this. They said they've written that the, quote, overarching goal of this uh, national uniform definition of income is, quote, to create a seamless coordinated system with, quote, a single streamlined application for all insurance programs. If that's not part of a national plan for comprehensive health insurance, I don't know what is. So that makes this part of the Medicaid expansion the court was writing about and part of what the court made optional when it made the Medicaid expansion optional for states. Eligibility determinations. You know, when, uh, if, Either a state or federal exchange identifies applicants as being eligible for Medicaid, and the state fails to establish procedures for enrolling them in Medicaid, then uh, under uh, the PPACA, the state loses all federal Medicaid funds, and the same applies in reverse. If a state's Medicaid agency doesn't do that for ex the exchanges, it uh, uh, loses all federal Medicaid funds. This is, again, part of that comprehensive national plan for universal health insurance coverage. So, and, and again, HHS has acknowledged this. They said they call this part of uh, uh, this seamless system for people to apply for all coverage programs to, that helps to coordinate eligibility with the, uh, all the new insurance affordability programs. And finally, I think this is the last uh, one we're going to be talking about, the maintenance of effort provision. Now, this is maybe most obviously a part of that new national comprehensive plan for universal health insurance coverage. Think about it, if, if uh, or, or even under, the, even under uh, Kathleen Sebelius's definition of what the court meant by uh, a, a new program, that only the newly eligible adults, only coverage for them was the new program that the court was making optional, this would still be part of it. And why is that? Well, the, the, the federal government was already offering uh, states money at the old lower matching rates to cover adults, and they weren't doing it. Uh, some of them were, some of them weren't. Uh, and then the federal government says to states, look, we want you to cover all adults up to 138% of the federal poverty level, and we're going to pay 90 to 100% of the cost. Now, if you're one of the states that is already offering coverage to some adults in your Medicaid program, what's your incentive? You have an incentive to drop all of them starting in 
maybe starting uh, immediately, maybe waiting until 2014 when the federal government's going to pick up 100% of the cost, and then letting them bear the burden of the, that you, the state, had been bearing up until that point. There's a huge incentive for states to reduce their eligibility levels for coverage for adults so that the federal government uh, would, would pick that up. Similar uh, situation exists with, uh, with children. And so the maintenance of effort uh, provisions are part of the expansion to newly eligible adults because they reduce the cost of that program to, uh, or that, uh, that new coverage to the federal government by locking states in to providing coverage to those folks under the old matching rates where the states contribute more. Now, what, uh, so that's also clearly part of the, of, of, of the Medicaid expansion, even under uh, 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 Kathleen Sebelius's definition of it. And the Obama administration is threatening to withhold money from states that fail to uh, abide by that maintenance of effort standard. States that reduce their existing eligibility levels or the eligibility levels that were in place, again, on March 23rd, 2010. And this has come to a head in of all states, Maine. Maine had one of the more uh, uh, expansive Medicaid programs. Uh, it, it offered coverage to uh, adults higher up the income scale than most states. What, what, what happened in Maine was when the recession hit in 2008, they, like other states, were thinking about paring back their, uh, uh, their Medicaid programs because they more than exceeded the federal minimum uh, requirement, the minimum fed, uh, re requirements imposed by the federal government. And one way that states try to trim their budgets in hard times is they try to pare back on some of those optional Medicaid populations. And so Maine was thinking about doing that. But Congress stepped in with the uh, uh, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, I think is uh, what we called it, the stimulus bill, and said, no, 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 no. Keep, your, uh, keep your Medicaid eligibility levels where they are, and we will provide you extra money to do that. So Maine said, sure, we'll do that. And then in 2010, they renewed that money. But I think it was in 2011, that money ran out. And uh, Maine wanted to pare back their eligibility levels to save the state some money. And this is a big deal for Maine. In Maine, Medicaid, uh, 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 well, it, it, Medicaid accounts for a very large share of their budget, an outsized share of their budget uh, compared to other states. The federal funding alone is over 20% of the state budget. So I think uh, on the whole, it comes to over 30. But because the Department of Health and Human Services is applying the maintenance of effort provisions to Maine, which, by the way, and this is important, is not participating in the Medicaid expansion, they told when Maine submitted their plan to reduce, the, to pare back the eligibility levels for some adults uh, below 138% of the federal poverty level, the Obama administration said, no, you cannot do that. And we're so serious about our, uh, our refusal to let you do that that we are going to withhold all federal Medicaid funds from the state of Maine unless you maintain those eligibility levels where they were in 2008 and 2010, therefore 2010 when this law was passed. So the way Maine describes this is uh, I've made the case so far that the maintenance of effort provisions are part of the Medicaid expansion and therefore optional under NFIB and, uh, and, uh, and HHS doesn't have the authority to threaten to withhold all federal Medicaid funds from Maine if they violate uh, or if they don't maintain effort. Maine is making a similar but different case, uh, ba also based on the Supreme Court's ruling in NFIB. 
Maine has already actually filed suit on this basis, although that's been uh, sort of uh, uh, deemed not right because there the, they have to go through some administra administrative process first. But earlier, I, th I think it was uh, last month, Maine filed uh, uh, Maine filed something with, oh, you know, I've got the wrong citation here, so it's not telling me exactly what the name of the document was, but Maine uh, filed uh, uh, a request with the Department of Health and Human Services where they complained that, look, what you're doing here is unconstitutional under NFIB. In fact, what you're doing here is even worse than what Congress did with the uh, Medicaid expansion writ large. We had been getting extra money from the federal government in order to keep our eligibility uh, levels where they were. Then the federal government took away that money and said you have to keep the eligibility levels where they were when we were giving you extra money to do it, only now without any of the funding. So they described this as similar but worse than uh, what existed, uh, than what uh, Obamacare tried to impose, and uh, a threat to over 20% of the state budget. And the way that, uh, and, and they, they cite part of the, uh, of the Supreme Court's ruling in NFIB, where John Roberts, citing other Supreme Court rulings, wrote our cases have recognized limits on Congress's power under the spending clause to secure state compliance with federal objectives. We have repeatedly characterized its spending clause legislation uh, as much in the nature of a contract and that Congress's power to legislate under the spending power does not include surprising participating states with post-acceptance or retroactive conditions. And that's what Maine is alleging here, that Congress put in place a retroactive condition on uh, on federal Medicaid funds. Uh, so uh, there is potential for that, uh, for this, uh, for HHS's uh, misinterpretation uh, and narrowing of uh, the NFIB ruling to be challenged in court once, um, once Maine has uh, exhausted uh, the administ administrative procedural requirements uh, that are currently before it. Now, how do we know that Sibelius's interpretation of the court's ruling is too narrow. Well, I've already mentioned she misrepresents the, whole, the court's holding when she says that uh, Chief Justice Roberts considered the newly eligible adult population to be the new program that Congress was voicing on states. That new program, again, was not the newly eligible adult population. It was, quote, a comprehensive national plan to provide universal health insurance coverage. But we, we don't have to rely only on that. The court also repeatedly emphasized that it considered the Medicaid expansion that it was rendering optional to include more than just the newly eligible adult population. For example, John Roberts wrote, the Medicaid uh, uh, provisions of the Affordable Care Act require states to expand their Medicaid programs by 2014 to cover all individuals under the age of 65 with incomes below 133, 138% 138 of the federal poverty line. That's all individuals, not just adults. So that right there flatly contradicts uh, Sibelius' uh, uh, interpretation of uh, the court's ruling that it is that, that, that the court only made the newly eligible adult population optional and not the uh, uh, children under 138% uh, under of poverty. In addition, uh, when Roberts talked about how the, the statute would expand Medicaid, he talked about all the ways it would expand Medicaid. He didn't break out the newly eligible adult population and present the cost of that part of the expansion, and this is an example of it. He talks about, in light of the expansion in coverage mandated by the act, the federal government estimates that Medicaid spending will increase 
by approximately $100 billion per year. He doesn't break out the newly eligible adult population when he comes up with that number. He also writes, he also refers to the newly eligible adult population as an example of how the Medicaid expansion would uh, expand Medicaid. He writes that the Medicaid expansion expands the scope of the program and increases the number of individuals the states must cover. For example, the act requires state programs to cover to provide Medicaid coverage to adults with incomes up to 138% of the federal poverty level. Again, under the Affordable Care Act, John Roberts writes, Medicaid is transformed into a program to meet the health care needs of the entire non-elderly population with income below 138% of poverty. You get the point here. And here's another example of, uh, of, of how uh, the court considered the all mandatory Medicaid provisions to be included in the, in the expansion. The court referred to the federal government's estimate of the cost of pre-expansion Medicaid. It was uh, here on the slide between 2010 and 2019, $3.3 trillion, the cost of pre-expansion Medicaid. Now, what did, that was a number provided to the court by the federal government in one of its briefs. How did the federal government describe that number? They described it as the cost of Medicaid without the Affordable Care Act. So Medicaid without the Affordable Care Act is what the court called pre-expansion Medicaid. Ergo, the Medicaid expansion equals everything in the Affordable Care Act. Uh, I think you might be. Go ahead, skip ahead. Ah, here it is. No, no, no go, go back that one. This, and this is, if you go back one, this is, this is uh, uh, what I was talking about. Uh, the, the number that came from the federal government, $3.3 trillion over 10 years, and that's the cost of uh, Medicaid without the Affordable Care Act, and the court called that pre-expansion Medicaid. The expansion equals um, everything in the, uh, every mandatory Medicaid provision in the PPACA. Uh, and finally, when, when discussing its remedy, uh, the court again distinguished between the Medicaid program as it existed prior to the PPACA and the requirements of that statute. Here, he, he speaks of the existing Medicaid, Robert speaks of the existing Medicaid program and draws a contrast between that and the requirements of that act. He says, uh, um, well, I'll leave that at that. Now, he did not say that the remedy applies only to the newly eligible adult population, it applies to the requirements of the act. It's, uh, the Congressional Research Service uh, may wish that Roberts had been clearer, but he was clear enough that we can reject both there and the Obama administration's interpretation. And this, it's not just John Roberts writing for the court. Even if you look at the opinion of uh, Justice Ginsburg, who concurred uh, with Roberts on the remedy, she wrote, the, courts, the court prohibits only the application of the secretary's authority to withhold Medicaid funds from states that decline to conform their Medicaid plans to the ACA's requirements. Not the newly eligible adult population, but the ACA's requirements broadly. So even if Secretary Sebelius is just sure that what the court really meant was that only the newly eligible adult population is now optional, she should have petitioned the court for clarification. There's just no excuse for her adopting uh, her current interpretation, which guts one of the most important Supreme Court rulings of the day. Uh, what she's doing instead is, uh, is coercing states into implementing parts of the law that the court made optional. This is. Uh, I don't know how well the colors are showing up here, but this is a chart that's uh, meant to show how uh, there are varying guarantees of coverage to kids between 16, 6 and 18 in these various states. And the court is, uh, or uh, Kathleen, this is pre-Obamacare, and the Obama administration is forcing all of these states to enroll all, 
uh, all children uh, six to 18 below 138% of poverty in Medicaid. Uh, and the important point here, uh, and they're, they're being coerced into providing an unlimited entitlement to Medicaid coverage for those kids uh, that, that does not exist today. If the administration were obeying this, the, the court's ruling, states, all states would have the freedom to reduce coverage for these kids without fear of losing uh, all federal Medicaid funds, but the administration is denying them that option. Um, it's coercing them into offering that unlimited entitlement to Medicaid coverage to all of these kids. So the president has taken a lot of grief for throwing out parts of uh, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act without having the authority to do so, but he's also throwing out parts of the Supreme Court's ruling in order to force states, and for the same reason, in order to force people to accept this law and going beyond his authority to do it. So uh, I'm happy to take any questions that you've got, and I thank you folks again.